Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thank you for listening to episode 39 of Hey Human Podcast. This episode, I have a great conversation with Chris Norton and Emily Summers. So it's my first dynamic duo. And you may have heard of Chris before. He was in the news uh, a handful of years back when, as a star uh, college football player, 18 years old, he went uh, in for a play and hit his head just so on his opponent's legs. Or maybe it was the same team. I, I can't recall now. But um, anyway, he hit just so, and he ended up paralyzed. It uh, broke his... Um, spinal cord and tore at the, or I'm sorry, tore his spinal cord, broke his spinal bone there, the vertebrae. And they told him he had a 3% chance of ever walking again. Somebody like Chris, an athlete and a believer that if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. uh, He defied all the odds. And in fact, his college graduation, he walked across the stage with the help of his, as of the day earlier, fiance Emily. They met a few years into Chris's rehabilitation uh, and fell in love. And her story is interesting too. Uh, their love story is really beautiful. Um, his, what he's done since the uh, accident is incredible. She also, um, so he does uh, outreach, he has, does fundraising for uh, to to get funds to help pay for the very expensive equipment needed for spinal cord injury rehabilitation. He has a foundation. Uh, it's called SciCan Foundation, S C I C A N Foundation. Um, he also is an author and a motivational speaker, and he does the stand up campaign. Uh, he was a 2011 CBS Courage and Sports Award recipient. He's awesome. Emily's awesome too. She uh, helps kids in need. She's uh, she, she and Chris are foster parents, but she's also heavily involved in the foster system and believes in the future with the children. And um, <laughs> I know half of you right now are about to sing the Whitney Houston song, and that's cool because I like that song. I believe the children are our future too. Um, anyway, they're just they're a really cool couple um, of people and as a couple as well. And I was really, I was so impressed by them and their energy and their spirit and their perseverance and their loyalty to each other and determination to help each other in any way they can. It's just cool stuff. Anyway, um, I have links up as usual, uh, all the different things that you can find about them and Chris's foundation and, and all that good stuff. And the heyhumanpodcast.com, of course, is my website with all that info. And then, as usual, uh, iTunes, Podbean. I'm now on Stitcher, which if you're listening to this not on Stitcher and you want to be on Stitcher, now you can because Hey Human Podcast is on Stitcher. Um, anyway, yeah, all over all the places, all the good stuff. If you get a chance, please review and rate Hey Human Podcast on iTunes. It would be really great and just, yeah, all the good stuff that makes the world go round. All right, here we go. Episode 39 with Emily and Chris. 
Hi, Chris Norton and Emily Summers. Welcome to Hey Human Podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah we're excited. I'm excited too. Um, uh, Chris, I learned about you because there's a Facebook video circulating of Emily, you walking with Chris as Chris walks across his graduation from college, right? Was that yep. this year? What year was that? Because it didn't have a date on it. It was May of 2015. Okay, so just a couple of years ago. And yep. normally walking across the graduation thing is, you know, it's like an everyday thing, no big deal. But for you guys, it was an extraordinary moment because when you were 18 years old, star football player for your college, Luther College, is that correct? correct. You had an, an, uh, in a football game, you had an injury and you became paralyzed. So take us through that. I mean, that's, first of all, you didn't, you and you and Emily, you guys didn't know each other yet. Yes. We right. didn't know each other at all. Okay. Yeah. So you're star football player, 18, king of the world. You go out and explain what happened. Yeah. So I was just uh, an 18 year old freshman at Luther College. Mm -hmm. I went to college like anybody else, get a great education, make some friends and play some football. Uh, well, the fifth game of our season, uh, we scored a touchdown, and then it was our turn to kick the ball off. Uh, it was my turn to uh, try to make a play, make a tackle on the ball carrier, and just sprinting down as hard as I could. I went to cut off the ball carrier. I made a diving uh, tackle for his legs, and my head collided right with um, my head collided right with his legs instead of my head getting in front of his legs. And instantly, I lost all feeling and movement from my neck down. I tried to get up, but I couldn't. It felt as if the power of my body was just turned off. Mm -hmm. It was a surreal experience, but I was really calm. I was conscious. I just thought within seconds I would just bounce back up and walk off. Yeah. Felt like any other play, but uh, as time went on, I realized the severity of the situation eventually getting flown out to a hospital. I had emergency surgery. I was told I had a 3% chance to ever regain any feeling or movement back below the neck. My goodness. What, so going back to that moment, I'm sure you've been asked this question incessantly, but did you, in that moment when somebody gives you a diagnosis like that, I, I feel like you have two ways to go. You're either going to say you're wrong or, okay, I'll probably never walk again. So in your your fighter spirit, you chose the door that said, I'm going to prove that to be. Absolutely, exactly. So like you said, you're, I was confronted with either accepting the 3% and just quitting mm -hmm. or to do whatever I can to prove them wrong. And that's uh, what I did. I wanted to do whatever I could to beat it. Yeah. And I decided that if I could work as hard as I could each and every day, uh, put forth the effort, had the right attitude, that something good will come. And I found that um, with time and hard work, and progress started to come back slowly but surely. So is that something where you have to retrain your brain? Or do you have to retrain the spinal cord? How, where does the... Where does the conversation happen in your body? Yeah, so you send the signals from your brain to move your arm. Well, uh, because of my spinal cord injury up in my neck, 
the signal gets messed up in my spinal cord. Mm. So then that signal doesn't reach my arm. So my brain, uh, completely intact, it knows exactly what to send. It knows exactly what you want to do, uh, but it, it's just not getting there. It's just like if you try to turn your TV on, but it's not plugged in. Hmm. It doesn't matter how many times you press the button, the TV is not going to come back on. Yeah. Right? Uh, that's kind of the same thing with me, but um, since my injury was an incomplete, though, there was some connections. There's a little bit of connection, so the more you could retrain it and try to reuse those signals, um, sometimes it got stronger and became a stronger connections. That's where I started to get more feeling and movement back over time just with a lot of repetition and training. Were you conscious, conscious the whole time from the injury through the flight to the hospital? Were you? Yeah, I was completely conscious. Were you not just scared out of your mind, or were you completely like, this is going to be fine, this is going to be fine? What's the conversation going through your brain at that point? Yeah, I mean, at first it was, I'm going to be fine. I was kind of a naive 18-year-old. I thought, you know, bad things happen to other people. Nothing bad happens to me. I'll be fine. This will just be some freak scare, and I'll be able to come back normal. Well, by the time... They had a call in for a helicopter. That's when I really got scared. And the fact that my movement or feeling wasn't coming back either. So it was a combination of the two that, you know, I've been to a lot of sporting events. And I've seen, you know, some pretty serious injuries, but they've always been able to move and there's never been a need for a helicopter. Mm. So it was those kind of two things that really kind of were sounding the alarms off in my head of you know, what's happening. Like, what's going on? And, and in fact, though, I was too scared to even really ask any questions. I really didn't want to know. And I just wanted to make sure that they could just figure out everything that they needed to know to give me the best diagnosis or to give me the best care. And so I was kind of just in fear of, to even ask what was really going on. And you went into surgery right away? Did they what, Did they kind of put a, some sort of a like a splinter or, you know, like a splint in there or what did they do? They fused my vertebrae together. So before I went to surgery, they realigned my spine and then they fused my C2, C3, C4, uh, my vertebrae and my neck together. Okay. So they used some screws to screw them together. So basically your head hitting the spine just kind of smushed everything and set it out of whack. Is that... Yeah, typically um, when you, when it happens with like diving or any kind of severe head trauma, Mm -hmm. usually like the force of it seems to take the brunt of it is in the neck Mm -hmm. is where um, there could be a significant damage done to. And then if the, if your vertebrae break into your spinal cord, that's where nerve damage Mm -hmm. comes. That's where, that's when you have like a spinal cord injury. And so for me, the the force of, you know, being hit from the side of my head um, moved my neck, my vertebrae out of line, which broke into my spinal cord. And then my spinal cord was so badly damaged that it, I lost the feeling of movement from my neck down. So you come out of surgery and they say there's 3% chance, but you, I read somewhere, one of the articles that said that you twitched your shoulder. 
which is yeah. to me like this great act of defiance of your body going, oh, really? <laughs> you know? It really was, yeah. Yeah, I was able to shrug my left shoulder. That's all I could do. Uh, but I shrugged the left shoulder for hours that first day. I was trying to do, you know, whatever I could to get back, you know, my strength. And I could only nod my head yes and no as well. So I just did all those little movements as much as I could to try to get my body back to being healthy and moving. Yeah. So what made the de- how did the decision get made for you to go to the Mayo Clinic? Because that, that's where you did your recovery, right? The... Yeah, I did my recovery, most of my recovery at the Mayo Clinics. I spent you know, my first seven months of my injury there. Well, my college was probably an hour and a half drive from the Mayo Clinic. So any sort of major trauma or injuries that happen you know, within that vicinity of the Mayo Clinic, right. you're going to go to the Mayo Clinic. And so that's where, too, they, that's the only place that um, – offered you know that kind of surgery as well so they knew they needed that smaller hospital locally where my college was yeah uh, they weren't suited to handle uh, a surgery an operation like that did the recovery become your full-time job or did you actually keep trying to go to school during that time it was definitely a full-time job yeah. it was a everyday thing um, a.m to p.m it was it was constant um but that helped me help uh, kind of be at ease with it, I guess, not be angry or be sad. I felt like I was uh, I felt like I was like doing something meaningful. I felt purposeful and trying to do whatever I could mm-hmm. to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a fulfillment from it, really, mm-hmm. uh, that I gained. So it really kept my spirits up too to just really engulf myself and I'm just trying to get a little better each and every day yeah. and I think um, when you can work as hard as you can um, you can be proud of yourself no matter where you end up because you'll just know that you gave it all you had and you had nothing else to get yeah it's you had said in one of the interviews that um if you could go back and have it all happen again that you would you would which I think most people would find that astounding. But it, you saying that made me think of the word accident, which is what you would call what happened, right? Oh, he had this accident and injured his spine. And then I thought, well, gosh, though, if you believe that all things are, are ordained, for lack of a better word, and that, you, that it wasn't an accident, that because you had this sort of greater calling, which I'm sure some people would be like, are you crazy? You know, look at what everything you had to go through. But... Knowing what I know of you now, um, you've got a foundation, you give, you know, you talk to people, you just like, like all this stuff. It's, it's a weird thing to kind of wrap your mind around to think that it was all part of the, it's all part of the plan. And then when you said that, I was like, oh, well maybe he thinks that too. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I. Yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I think, you know, when bad things happen, you can create a purpose mm. I think that uh, right away I, I knew I could and I wanted to and that if I kept doing the right things that mm. something bigger than me and bigger than the injury would happen and so I just kind of stayed the course really believing in that and so yeah like you said you know the reason I wouldn't take the playbacks is because I 
created a purpose that's worth living for. I've realized a bigger calling than just um, my physical ability. And so that's starting a nonprofit, which we've raised over $600,000. I'm a motivational speaker that you know, I travel the country sharing you know, my message that anybody can overcome adversity, you can navigate change. And then to also write a book with my dad called The Power of Faith When Tragedy Strikes. So all those different opportunities did come about from uh, quote-unquote accident. And so that's what also sometimes it's funny when people, when they ask what happened, they're always like, oh, I'm so sorry. But something that I'm, I'm not really sorry now, so... It's just a, it's a different way to look at it, I guess. Yeah, I understand. I mean, it makes sense. So how long um, into your rehabilitation did uh, did you and Emily, Emily, when did you guys, you met at a party? And was that after rehabilitation? Was that in the middle of it? Or? Yeah, it was a few <laughs> years back. <laughs> it was a few years after. Um, so Chris had been working hard in therapy. He was back in school at the time. And we started talking and then met up in, I was going to Iowa State, met up there, hung out with some friends, and it kind of just all um, grew from there. Yeah. That must have been an extraordinary route, too, because I imagine, you know, you meet somebody at a party, and of course, I mean, let's just, the elephant in the room is, oh my gosh, there's a person in a wheelchair. Right. And all the things that that comes with. Right. Know? And yeah, and I... I already knew he was in a wheelchair since we had been talking a little bit. Um, but, I mean, I think it – for some reason I was kind of intrigued about it too. <laughs> like, I just wanted to know more. And, yeah. um, and I didn't even – like, because Chris was so confident and um, had such an incredible thing that he had overcome – overcame as well, um, I really didn't notice it either. Mm-hmm. So – I didn't think a lot about like what is this going to look like going forward, dating somebody in a wheelchair or anything like that, just because I saw Chris and who he was, and he was very confident in his skin as well. So, I mean, like at first, yeah, you saw a wheelchair, but then like I got to a point where like I just saw Chris, I didn't see the wheelchair at all anymore. Well, and it's such an important thing to note, too, that if you meet a guy and he's sitting down in a chair... He's sitting in a chair, like he's still right. the same guy. It's just that chair has wheels versus not. So, what about exactly. you, Chris? When you when you met Emily, where you're like, uh oh, <laughs> as people do when they meet the person. Did you know? Or yeah, I mean, if you just see Emily, she's so beautiful. So it's definitely was love at first sight, and then I just getting to know her, just how big of a heart and how compassionate and caring uh, she is, but. I mean, that is something, though, that, you know, you're self-conscious about. You know, will a girl be able to uh, look past uh, the wheelchair, which is definitely this thing that would be the first thing to notice about me is the wheelchair, but can they get to know me and really see me as the person? And so that was something that um, was really easy for Emily. Emily just didn't really seem to care, didn't seem to bother her. And, and even, like she said, it was almost intrigued her. Uh, more so about me, but uh, it just kind of goes to show just kind of the person she is. Right, and for both of you, I mean, if you believe that people are destined to meet each other, then it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And too, with Chris, um, with the whole uh, thing about his wheelchair and everything, I mean, everybody has something that they're going through that 
you kind of have to look past, like, we're not perfect, we're human, so we all have, you know, a disability, or some are internal, some other things that you can't see, and Chris has definitely looked past those flaws in me as well, um, you just can't see them, but that's true with any relationship you're ever in, and Chris, he's such a positive person, he really, like, the only limitation he has is his physical abilities, and everything else, like, mentally, emotionally, all of that, he's, like, always positive always has a great attitude a super hard worker so it's just that one thing right so I imagine too it fosters a level of intimacy that most couples will never experience because you have to trust I mean he has to trust you fully obviously and in the same way you have to trust him fully to be vulnerable with you I mean there's like this whole other level that you guys get to experience that probably most couples never get to yeah absolutely I feel like from like right when we started dating I felt like I just knew Chris already like we had known each other for a long time and it was that connection just seemed a lot deeper than any relationship I had ever been in um we definitely were had to get comfortable a lot quicker and with me having to help Chris with things too mm-hmm. it pushed us in that direction it made things easier and just more comfortable was that Chris for you because you were so used to you know 18 year old stud star football player guy <laughs> You know, suddenly that vulnerability of being, it's like this woman who wants to help you do things and, and letting go of that. I mean, we all have that. All of us do. That yeah. sort of like, I can do it. I'm fine. I can do it. You know, how did, how did you come to terms with that just in general? Not just even with Emily, but in life. Yeah. I mean, just in general, I mean, right away, that was one of the biggest things that was difficult is having to ask for so much help. Mm-hmm. It was I hated it. I hated to have someone, I needed someone to help me with bathing and like a bunch of just like kind of that personal intimate stuff that no one else should be a part of. And all of a sudden you're thrust in with, I mean, ultimately strangers um, helping you out constantly around the clock and even having them kind of break that barrier with my friends and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, just like kind of letting go of those insecurities or those vulnerabilities and I just learned that I I can't hang on to those otherwise I'm just going to make myself miserable like I have to let go of that kind of personal bubble that we like to kind of put around ourselves and mm-hmm. obviously um, having to let that down for Emily was difficult when um, you really when I was really into her I didn't want to ruin it I didn't want <laughs> yeah. to have her do too much and it was just um, yeah, be too much for her to handle. And so that was definitely some of the things that scared me or made me nervous. But, um, again, she just made me feel so comfortable. And, mm-hmm. and as a result of her making me comfortable and getting past those vulnerabilities, our relationship and connection just uh, accelerated uh, quicker than I think probably most relationships ever will get to. Well, Emily, you said something that I thought was awesome when you said, you know, we're human, we're not perfect, we're human. And I think what you're saying, Chris, about how, you know, you have to let somebody in and let them do things and that you were almost in your mind. I think every human being does this. Like we meet somebody and we try and make decisions for them. They won't be able to handle this or they won't do this or that and without giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. And the minute that you let go of that and stop sort of thinking for someone else, I think it allows that nice flow of, okay, now what? What's next? You know, it's good. Yeah. It's, 
Absolutely, and that right person will be able to handle those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't—I mean, you don't want to hide who you are in a relationship, and then it's just completely based on a lie of trying to be a perfect person. You know, you want to make sure that you are yourself and mm-hmm. you are vulnerable and show who you really are to make sure that this is going to work for the long run. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great—I mean, regardless of what a great lesson it is to not give up when faced with in, what seemingly insurmountable odds that that the other lesson is is that vulnerability that you guys that you guys just existing or putting out there in the world that that is a possibility you know i think people forget that it's a possibility it's cool Absolutely. Oh, talk a bit about the foundation because i i think that is incredible i know that um the costs of trying to bring somebody from spinal cord injury to bring them to a place of healing has got to be astronomical. So that's what your, your SICAN, is that right? SICAN? Yes. The SICAN foundation. Well, just going through my recovery and um, intensive rehab, you know, I was able to use some great equipment mm-hmm. at the Mayo Clinic and the Mayo Clinic is one of the best rehab facilities and the best hospitals in the world. Well, um, I kind of then again, because now every thought everywhere had those same opportunities. I get to Iowa and I was shocked by the lack of therapeutic opportunities and therapeutic equipment. Um, for me to really um, get to where I want to be at and to have the recovery I've been able to have, I needed advanced equipment. The advanced equipment costs lots of money. So mm-hmm. a bike that I use every single day costs over $30,000. Well, we didn't have $30,000 to buy a bike. Well, thankfully the NCAA, because I was injured in one of their games, mm-hmm. was able to cover a lot of my medical expenses and they bought me a bike. Well, obviously I've met a lot of people who don't have those bikes, who don't have other equipment that they can use to really help themselves with their recovery. And so with that in mind, we started a nonprofit to raise funds so we can purchase equipment like that and put them in places where people have the opportunity to get better. So there can be more success stories like mine. Because I know there's people out there who have the same sort of dedication and, and effort and the mindset that I do, but they just don't have those same opportunities to do so. And so we want to provide more opportunities for people to live uh, a better quality of life. That's incredible. And people can, I'll put links for all this stuff too on, on the website. So, but there, is there a donate button or some sort of a. Yes, there's a donate page. Okay, good. On the website of the Sycan foundation, uh, com. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So, we, uh, like I said, we, we raise funds. That we try to give it back um, to just improve the quality of life for anyone with a disability, not just a spinal cord injury. Sure. And the book, uh, The Power of Faith When Tragedy Strikes, you wrote that with your dad and another writer, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So my dad and I, we write, we tell our story in alternating chapters mm. from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So it's from my dad's perspective and my perspective. Ah, that's cool. Yeah, and then the the other writer, uh, Christy Hayes, mm-hmm. she ghost write wrote the book for us. Right. So she's a very accomplished author from 
Atlanta, Georgia, USA Today bestselling author, and she agreed to write our book uh, completely for free. And she just felt so compelled to share this story. She knew the kind of impact it would have for anybody who would read it, that she just wanted to donate her time to make it possible. So she's just an incredible person. And the book is so well written. And it's not because I'm a great writer. My dad's a great writer. (laughs) It's because Christy's such a great writer. But uh, we definitely have a story to tell, and we want to just help other people and to be able to share our story and our messages uh, in that book has been very impactful because it's helped uh, me to live through my purpose of just trying to inspire as many people as possible. Yeah. And that's when you do your, um, when you go on tours and do your speaking engagements, is that, what is the, the, the if you could sort of summarize as best you can, I guess, to the, the major concept that you're trying to get across when you do the speaking engagements. That we're all capable of breaking through our change and breaking through adversity, mm-hmm. uh, that we all have what I call the power to stand. And it's not merely the physical ability to stand, but it's to stand up in the face of adversity, to stand up to change, to stand up for what you believe in. Mm-hmm. And so I really help audience realize they're capable of much more than what they think Mm -hmm. and that no matter what you're going through, uh, you can get past it. Yeah. You don't have to be in a wheelchair to have something that you're, that's holding you back. In other words. Yeah, exactly. And and me being in a wheelchair and my story really helps keep things in perspective as well for Mm -hmm. audience members. It is. It's super relatable to absolutely anybody because we all go through difficult things and Mm -hmm. struggles um, in you know, Chris's might be a little bit more extreme than what some people have to go through, but it doesn't make it anymore. Like we all are dealing with things and uh, no matter what, there's something you can take away from that. Just that for me too, like Chris is more positive than I am and seeing him. It's like when I'm going through something difficult, I have that choice to be positive about it or to just think negative thoughts, like bad things and just keep going off of that. Like it's a choice you make that Chris makes too every single day. So it's very relatable to everybody, which I think is awesome. That's cool. I love that. Do you ever get to Nashville? I hope so. Yeah. You'll have to let me know, and I'll I'll let people know for sure. Um, Has it changed your comfort zones in general about just how you see the world at large? For both of you, I mean, is is, is it your perspective, I imagine, is completely 180. Yeah, I mean... One of probably the biggest things I've noticed is um, how nice people are. I think how caring and thoughtful and encouraging mm-hmm. people can be. And I think so often we see kind of the, the bad side, the negative side of people. Sometimes that's kind of what media will show. But I've realized that when people can see someone with a disability, they can see someone struggling, that they're really willing to do what they can to make you feel comfortable, to uh, encourage you. And I think what's neat about that, and I really try to encourage people to do, is let's do that all the time, no matter Mm -hmm. if someone's in a wheelchair or not in a wheelchair, whether you know someone's struggling or not, because, again, Emily said it, but we we all face challenges, but I just think the world could be uh, that much better of a place. We can try to apply those kind of same principles or how we would treat someone in a wheelchair to everyone 
But that's kind of something I've noticed that there's so many great people out there, and we just feel very blessed to um, to receive so much support. Yeah, I think I think we forget how much love there is in the world. It really is, and it's what you focus on too. So if you're focusing on only the bad things that you're seeing in your life, it's going to seem like that's all that's there. Mm. You can focus on the positive, the good things. And you also have positivity coming out of you and smiling at people and bringing other people up. Like, you're going to get it right back to you. So it's, too, it's how you look at it for sure. Yeah. So I, I watched the video, like I said, of you walking across, Chris, walking across for your um, graduation. Did you, was that a surprise for your family? Did everyone know? And I'm curious, like, the day before you figured out that you were going to be able to really walk, Versus the day that you are going, oh my gosh, it's happening, and you know that's that's a huge transition. Yeah, well, I have been prepping for that graduation walk for well over a year, mm. and I told and I told everybody about it. So it was something that really helped me stay accountable mm-hmm. by making that kind of large of a goal, even when at the time I had no idea how I was going to do it. And it was just something that really kept me focused each and every day to keep working hard because I wanted to have a successful walk on the stage. But it was definitely something that I was nervous for because it was a moment that I've been training for for so long. And to finally be able to have that opportunity and have it go so well um, felt so great, but also felt uh, such a sense of relief too because I put a lot of pressure on myself and I was just glad that it went so well after working for uh, so long to make it happen no he did he worked for hours and hours we actually moved to Michigan for Chris to work out specifically at a training facility called Barvis Method so we moved there just for like this graduation walk to be able to get Chris where he wanted to be and he would come home after working out for four hours at therapy and be using like free weights in our apartment for another few hours doing an arm bike. Like he was so motivated. And every single night before bed, we walked to bed. So we also were doing that as well. It was kind of like a full-time thing, just really trying to get to where um, Chris wanted to be. He was putting so much work and he was so determined. And it's worked out really well. Like, I mean, we were just talking about how cool it is, how putting that work in, Um, Making it public as well has inspired so many people. So all that work is totally worth it for sure with all that. Yeah. I mean, you're an athlete. I mean, you were born, obviously, an athlete. So that determination, I think there's just something coursing through the blood of someone like that where you have a goal and, and you set it and you exceed it. And that's just the way it is. But you're also, as Emily points out, a human being. So... Did you have moments where you went, oh my God, how how am I going to do this? Or were you just eye on the prize the whole time? Did you, you know, did you have moments where you were human? <laughs> yeah, definitely moments when I was human where it just felt like, is this going to work? Am I doing the right thing? This just seems like too much. Will I make it? Like, I had a lot. There was definitely moments yeah. like that. But I think, those moments will come no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. I think what's important is how long will you let that affect you or how long will that let you last in you? you know, for me, it was kind of a 60-minute a thing, mm-hmm. hopefully less than 60 minutes, but it was something where I, I had to flush out of my system, but 
it, it does come up because we are human. And you just kind of got to let it out, um, flush the negativity and those doubts and everything, uh, get it out of you and just start working and just do what you can to um, push past it. Yeah. So the day before you walked across your graduation floor, you proposed to Emily. <clears throat> so now are you guys married now? Are you still engaged or what's your... We're still engaged. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> There's no time limit or anything. Uh, were you, did you know it was coming or? No, I had no idea. So I was very surprised. I was in shock. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot for him to pack into one weekend too. He already had yeah. enough stress with the walk. I couldn't believe that he was going to put that on him too. Yeah. I'm sure he knew you'd say yes though. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he, he did. I mean, I know he knew that. <laughs> and too, on the day of the proposal, we went out with his family to get some lunch and he wouldn't eat his lunch i'm like chris why aren't you eating and he was just so nervous, so nervous. about it uh-huh. i thought it was for the walk on sunday but nope <laughs> that's awesome well congratulations for that too Thank you. that's very cool um you know i mean i've been thinking about so much of so much about this before i talked to you guys and um I was thinking about how when we grow up, as we grow up, we're given these labels. Like, Chris, you were given the label of football player and athlete and, you know, superstar or whatever it was. It, and those aren't really who we are, right? And who we are it comes from deep, deep inside of us. It's what our sole purpose is, or, you know. And I think that many people don't get the opportunity to know who they truly are. And so... It's it's neat that you, in this whole mess of a thing, which is a horrible thing that I would never wish on anyone, I find it quite beautiful that it's given you the ability to see who you actually are, and in turn, all the people around you, like Emily and your probably your family, it's it, they get to see who they really are as well as like a mirror of you kind of thing. It's just so cool. It's you. It, I'm really glad you exist. That you're out there in the world and you're spreading this message and it's very neat. So thank you for that. It's cool. It needs to be out there. You know, scream it from the rooftops, as it were. What's the plan for the next five, ten, twenty years? What's what's the goals? Wow, that you know, I have so many kind of going right now, but I definitely for my career and like I said, my my purpose is to inspire as many people as possible. And so whatever falls in line with that is I'm going to continue to do. I love speaking to all sorts of audiences, but any sort of conferences, businesses, uh, any kind of those opportunities come about. I love uh, taking those. I love to also expand the foundation and just continue to provide more people with opportunities, mm-hmm. uh, get the book out there. We want to keep uh, – on our Facebook page, we've gotten a, a good following. We want to keep growing that uh, because we want to just keep um, putting out more content, inspirational information of how um, some things that worked for me and other things I've learned from other people that might work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what anything we can do to help again, all under the idea of you know inspiring. Uh, if we can if we can inspire somebody else, it's worth it. Yeah. What I don't about- know that I'll take us, but uh, that's the, the thing right now. The mission is just to keep uh, inspiring. Emily, what about you? 
Um, so my passion is working with kids in foster care and then also helping others with like mental health issues and kind of like those challenges you don't see. So someday I would like to be a motivational speaker. I feel like in 10, 15 years, I'll be at that point. And then I also want to just continue. We're foster parents actually right now. I want to continue doing that. Um, and hopefully just make an impact, help kids, more foster families become foster families and also get help kids who need to be adopted help that happen as well and to just spread that there's hope um, no matter how bad of a situation you're in and if you feel like you're alone and you have absolutely no hope um, it's there it's you can find it other people are going through similar things as well and reach out get the help you need and um, you can get through no matter what you're going through seems like you two are a perfect couple <laughs> I'm excited I'm excited for your future together it's it's great Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. And Chris, I'll put links to everything. And Emily, if you want to send me links to some of the stuff you're working on too, please do. And I'll stick them all up there. And y'all are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.